0: Good morning, everyone. I know you're probably getting tired of littles being up here. But the Lord willing, uh, David should be back here uh, next Sunday. Appreciate David and Kelly very, very much. And uh, I think the Lord is doing great things through them as they continue to minister among us here. Last Sunday, uh, I began a three-part series based on Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse 23 and 24. And in the context leading up to this passage, of course, we remember that uh, Jesus had been among the people preaching the kingdom of God. He had done a lot of healing of people and feeding of people. He has predicted uh, his death two times already, and it's as if at this point Jesus looks out among the throngs of people that uh, he has helped physically as well as spiritually by teaching the kingdom of God, and he, he says, you're following me. You want to follow me, but if you really want to follow me, if you really want to be my disciple, three things are necessary. He says, beginning with verse 23 of Luke 9, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, will find it. And so we looked last week at what I refer to as the three D's that Jesus gives here of what it requires, what is required in order to be my disciple. The first D, of course, is denial. It says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. And we talked about that last week, about what Denial is, it's it's submission, total submission. It is the giving up of ownership, ownership of ourself, ownership of, of anything. And we looked at the supreme example of Jesus Christ and what submission is, what denying self really is. He left heaven, he came to earth, he bore our sins all the way to the cross. And he is forever the Son through eternity. That's how much he loved us and how much he was willing to deny self and adhere to the will of God. And then the second D is death. And that is death on the cross. That is what secured our salvation, the blood that was shed on the cross. And when people obey the gospel, based upon their faith, which leads them to repent and turn from sin and to confess Christ's name as the Son of God before men... And to be immersed in water in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. The Bible says that he is buried with Christ in baptism. And he is raised to walk a new life, a new creature. And so daily we are to take up our cross. It's a cross of death, a cross of self-denial and dying to sin so that we might be alive unto God. And so this morning, I'd like to cover the last of the three Ds, and that is direction. Jesus said in the passage, if any desire to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And follow me. And so the third requirement, if one is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, a Christian, is direction. We must Follow Christ. So whereas the first three stages had to do with the beginning of the journey, this stage has more to do with maintaining the journey along the way. And to sort of set our uh, minds in this mode, consider the words of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. First Peter 2:21 through 25 For to this you were called before because Christ also suffered for us saving us or leaving us an example that you should follow his steps who committed no sin nor was deceit found in his mouth who when he was reviled did not revile in return when he suffered he did not threaten but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the truth, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls." And so as we look at this third requirement, direction, following Jesus, following in his footsteps, I want us to consider three things. From the larger context of the book of Luke, and uh, we will contain our thoughts within the book of Luke, there are three uh, requirements for the journey as we follow Jesus. Number one. You must forsake all. That's found in Luke 14. Secondly, you must not look back. And that's found in Luke 9. And third, you must finish the journey. And again, that's found in Luke chapter 9. Consider, though, first of all, the requirements for this journey of following Jesus we must forsake all listen with me now as i read from the text of luke chapter 14 verses 25 through 33 luke 14:25 through 33 now great multitudes went with him and he turned and said to them if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother wife and children brothers and sisters yes and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest, after he has laid the foundation, "...and is not able to finish, all who see it began to mock him, saying, "...this man began to build and was not able to finish." Or, "...what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with ten thousand to meet him who comes against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, He sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. A requirement of our journey as a Christian requires us to forsake all. Unless one hates oneself... He cannot be my disciple. Hate here is a familiar word these days, isn't it? Uh, We hear it tossed back and forth as accusations, one side against another side, that side against this side. And to be honest, to be truthful, there is a lot of hatred in our world, in our society today. And it's almost palatable. Hatred. But however we consider hate and what it means in our culture today, hate has a different inference here. And it's interesting to me, as usually when most most preachers uh, do when we're researching a, a lesson, We consult several different translations to see how it's worded uh, differently. And I expected to find a a different translation of the word, uh, the Greek word that's translated hate. But all of the translations that I uh, consulted used the word hate. So hate here really means in the original language to love less. To love less. It's void of the sentiment usually associated with the word today. So here it means that we must love Jesus more than all beings, uh, not even excluding self. So in the context of Jesus' day, Jesus plainly meant that to be his disciples, one would have to hate his own life to the extent of willingness to accept crucifixion at the hands of the Romans for the sake of fidelity to Christ. Crucifixion. Crucifixion was a common spectacle during Jesus' time. So in context here, Jesus is saying, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, then it's going to cost. There is a cost involved. And the cost is forsaking all, forsaking all. You've got to hate everyone, including yourself, which means you've got to love me first and foremost and love everyone else less, to a lesser degree. But here it meant this. And he gives two parables to enforce the idea that It's folly, really, to contemplate such a a serious business as becoming a disciple of Christ without counting the cost. Counting the cost. One parable is about building in the scripture that we just read, counting the cost before beginning. I remember when Kay and I, back in the 70s, were working with the church in Sierra Leone, West Africa, that it was a common sight throughout the country to see buildings uh, in various stages of completion, but just left. You would see a, a building that might have the walls up, but it would be overgrown with moss because the, the owner ran out of money. So he built with what he had, and then he didn't have enough to finish it, and so it was just left. Maybe sometimes years later, they would come back and finish, and then maybe never finish it. So, in a sense, they didn't count the cost to finish the building before they started. The cost of being a follower to Jesus is to resolve to put Christ first in our life. And if this cost is too dear, if it's too expensive, if it's too expensive to accept this forsaken all, loving less, He just simply says, you can't be my disciple. You cannot be my disciple. The other parable in the scripture that we just read is about fighting, counting the cost of becoming Christ's enemy. And that's something to consider. That if we don't forsake all, in essence, we are becoming an enemy to Christ. If you're not with me, you're against me. Have you ever thought about what it is to be considered an enemy? Christ's enemy? me? If we don't forsake all that we have, it's exactly what we are. We are an enemy. But what is talking about here is counting the cost. And so here, the other parable is about fighting and counting the cost of becoming Christ's enemy. To follow Jesus will cost one the willingness to suffer personal relationships if such distracts from following Jesus. To not follow Jesus will cost one the consequences of becoming his enemy. And these considerations must be contemplated at some level before becoming a Christian. Now, in the evangelism that uh, Kay and I are involved in, have been involved in through uh, the last several years, uh, we concentrate on just presenting the pure gospel to a person uh, at the moment that we're introduced to them, maybe on the doorstep of their of their house. And we try to leave having... Uh, Presented the gospel. But at some point early on, not before the gospel itself, but at some point early on, we also must consider and let people know what it's going to cost. We do that in everyday life, don't we, before we go out and write a check for that automobile or for that boat or for whatever... Uh, we check our bank account, don't we? We we check our uh, income on a regular basis. Can I afford this, or will I have to give it up down the road? But it's also required in being a follower of Jesus. Counting the cost. Well, Jesus sums up the cost of following him in verse 33 of this passage. By saying that one who does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Consider that word forsake. Forsake simply means to bid farewell. It means to take leave. It means to send away. It means to denounce. And it can mean to abandon. So in the light of this, who is truly a disciple of Jesus. And every soul that contemplates the terms of discipleship as outlined here must fall on his knees and say, Lord, I am a disciple. Please help me to be a disciple. So as we continue on the journey, we must remember that we are but stewards. And that's important for us to remember. But we go on then to the second point, the second requirement for the journey. Not only are we to forsake all, but in the second place, we must not look back. And here we go to Luke chapter 9, in verses 57 through 62. Luke 9, verses 57 through 62. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, Lord, let me first go and bury my Father. So Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit. Is fit for the kingdom of God. So here in this scripture, considering that we must not look back, there are three prospective followers that Jesus uh, that the Holy Spirit mentions for us here in Luke 9. In verses 57 through 58 of the text that we just read, Jesus dealt with a man who wanted to follow him. This man said that he would follow Jesus wherever he went. And Jesus informed the man that he would have to be willing to sacrifice to follow for him. The man had to examine himself. Then in verses 59 through 60 of the text, Jesus dealt with a man who Jesus himself called and said to him, follow me. And this man responded by asking the Lord to let him first, first, to go and bury his father. Now some think that maybe this man's father was advanced in years and perhaps he was just wanting to wait until after his death to follow Jesus. But at any rate, this is what Jesus said to him by response. He said, let Others take care of this matter. This man had to examine himself. And then in verses 61 through 62 of the text, Jesus dealt with another volunteer. This man wanted to follow Jesus, but first wanted to say goodbye to those of his house. And Jesus responded with the metaphor of the plow. He who puts his hand to the plow and looking back is not fit for the kingdom of God. I'm pretty sure that I'm looking at some in this audience who have put their hands to a plow with a mule pulling it. I tried it once with disastrous results. But back in the day when all crops were uh, maintained by uh, mules or horses pulling plows and implements. If you are cultivating a crop of corn with mule and plow, or even with a tractor as far as that goes, what happens if you spend a lot of your time looking back? You're going to plow up the crop. You've got to keep looking forward. And that's what Jesus has in mind here. He who puts his hand to the plow. And then looks back. He says it's not fit for the kingdom of heaven. You can't do that. You can't look back. And so this man had to examine himself. And the thing in common with all three of these prospective followers was first, first, first. First looking back before following Jesus. And really uh, looking back. First, historically, it was a bad decision. Think of the children of Israel leaving Egypt. And what did they do soon afterwards? They began to look back and long after the good things in their perception of what they had in Egypt rather than look forward to the hardships before them in, in the wilderness. And then there's Lot's wife. She decided to look back, and what happened to her? You know, uh, several years ago, Kay and I were at a congregation here in North Alabama, and we were uh, raising support for the Russian work. And I was to speak and afterwards talk to the elders. So when I got up to speak, I looked back, and right over the back door as is the case many times in church buildings, there was a clock. And under the clock was a a little sign. And I looked at it, you know what the sign said? Remember Lot's wife. Think about it. But here, as we continue on the journey, if we look back, we take our eyes off of Jesus and we lose all of our focus. And such, looking back, is not characteristic of a disciple of Jesus. But then this leads us to the third and and final requirement for the journey as a disciple. And that is that we must finish the journey. In Luke 9, verse 51, Luke 9, 51 The Bible says, now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And this is, of course, near in that final uh, week as Jesus is uh, going to Jerusalem for the feast. And he knows what awaits him there. It's just like the Apostle Paul later on When he knows what's awaiting him at Jerusalem, yet he's determined to go there against all of the advice along the way from brethren not to go there. Jesus knew what lie ahead in Jerusalem. But it says here that he set his face steadfastly. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And so the idea here is simply if we are to be a follower, if we are to continue being a follower of Jesus, we've got to finish the journey. Consider uh, just for a few moments the journey of Jesus, the journey that Jesus took. From his birth, Jesus had been on a journey to the cross. And now it is very near. And the way becomes more difficult, both physically and mentally. The New International Version uh, translates this scripture that Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. The New American Standard Version translates it that Jesus determined to go to Jerusalem. Then the King James, or New King James, he steadfastly set his face toward Jerusalem. And immediately, Jesus meets rejection from a Samaritan village, and then later in Jerusalem, in the days just prior to the cross. And as we've already spoke about last week, his greatest struggle was in the garden as he prayed for the cup to pass. And yet it was God's will that he complete his journey to the cross. And this became Jesus' will also. He became obedient to the death of a cross. As we read in Philippians 2 verse 8 last Sunday. He became obedient to the point of death. Death on a cross of crucifixion. And Jesus endured the cross. The spies and the shame and sat down at the Father's right hand, as we read in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. That was Jesus' journey. It was a journey in which he denied himself, he bore his cross, and he continued all the way as he was received back up into heaven. He endured the cross. It's also interesting to consider the Apostle Paul's journey. Let me just read in quick succession three scriptures that describe, rather showing Paul describing his journey as a disciple of Jesus Christ. The first is in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 15. Philippians 3, beginning with verse 7. But what things, since Paul is speaking, but what things were gained to me... I have counted loss for Christ. Yes, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, and note this, Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching toward forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything, anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. And then continue on with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians 6 verses 3 through 10. Paul continues, We give no offense in anything that our journey may not be blamed. But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, and tribulation, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love. By the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying, and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. And finally, consider 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8. 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8, Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So brethren, that's the journey of Paul. One of self-denial. One of bearing his cross daily. And one of following in the steps of Jesus all the way. If we are to follow Jesus, we must resolutely set out for heaven. We must determine to go to heaven. We must resolutely set out for heaven. We must finish the journey. We must set our minds on the things that are above, as we read in Colossians 3 In verses 1 through 4. Notice what Paul says there in Colossians 3 beginning with verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And notice, for you die. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So, uh, as we finish the journey, we must also lay aside every weight that hinders us. You recognize this from Hebrews chapter 12, the first two verses, where the author says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then finally, as we... Consider finishing our journey. Consider Revelation 2 and verse 10. Where our Lord says, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death. Be faithful. Faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. And really there are two senses in which we can understand Jesus' word here. Be faithful to God all the journey of your life, all the way till the day that you die. And it can also mean be faithful in your journey with Christ, even if it means death. And in the first century, that's exactly what it meant to disciples who were walking with Christ, finishing their journey. As we said, crucifixion was a common spectacle during that time. And many Christians were crucified physically because of their faith. Acknowledge Caesar, deny Christ, and the faithful never denied Christ and they were crucified. We've got to finish the journey. So when it comes to denying ourselves and bearing our crosses, we must put those things that are of spiritual importance first. Matthew 6, 33, familiar to us, Jesus said, but seek first Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So brethren, what's really important in your life? What's really important in your life? You can tell what is really important by observing what you give your greatest attention to. Where you give most of your effort. And where you give a majority of your interest. Do you need to be more serious about denying yourself and bearing your cross daily? The Lord will bless you for the sacrifices. The Lord will bless me for the sacrifice that we make on His behalf. And I'll close with the words in Luke 18, 29 through 30. Luke 18, 19 through 30. So he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who have left houses or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this present time And in the age to come, eternal life. We've got to finish the journey. We started out on it by our faith and by our repentance, by our confessing Christ as the Son of God before others, by being baptized into Jesus Christ and to His death for the forgiveness of sins, thus starting our journey and we bear our cross daily. We are crucified with Christ and we continue to die to sin day by day along the journey. And then not looking back, forsaking and finishing the journey. And I pray that all of us as Christians, as disciples of Christ, will do just that. But friend, if you're with us, and you're out of Christ, then you haven't begun the journey. You're not saved. If you have faith in Jesus as the Son of God, and if you're willing to repent, to turn from your sins, if you're willing before others to admit and to confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and to be baptized in water in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, you can arise as a new creature, having crucified the old man of sin, a new creature, a new man, arising to walk in newness of life. Don't you want that? Let's leave this building this morning, all of us, ready to meet God if he should come or if we should leave this life. If you're subject to the invitation. We ask you to respond now as we stand and see.